This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, uh, live at World Fantasy. We're going to be talking about the city as character. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And this is... Sarah Pimbra. Excellent. Sarah is our guest star this week. We're very excited to have you here. Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself and your books. Um, I started out as a horror writer. wrote six straight horror novels for leisure books in America. Um, and now write for Galantz and Quercus, mainly kind of crossover genre books, crime and YA. Uh, crime with sort of sci-fi elements, horror elements, and YA fantasy. Um, Very cool. Yeah. Excellent. I'm actually right now reading uh, A Matter of Blood mm-hmm. by you, which I am loving. It's Excellent, fantastic. because this would be terrible if you said, I'm hating it. <laughs> I am really <laughs> hating it. I am really hating it. I got book. you under this podcast <laughs> yeah. specifically to call you to out in public. Point that out. your horrible yeah. writing. Yeah. No, it's a fantastic book, and uh, I'm really liking it. So um, what we want to talk about uh, today is using a city as a character, whether that's a real city, such as London, Mm -hmm. where Sarah does a lot of her stuff, or an imaginary city. Um, My three serial killer books are set in Clayton, which is a totally made-up town in middle America somewhere. Um, And so, Sarah, tell us, why did you choose to set this in London, and why, you know, how did you use the city to tell the story? Um, Well... I mean, locations are quite interesting. At first, when I first started writing, I would use locations based on where I lived because it saved the research. (laughs) (laughs) And people would say, oh, you use your hometown. I was like, yes, I did, because (laughs) I know it. Um, But with London, I lived in London for a lot of years, and I'm moving back there. And as I've got older, I've realized that it is probably my favorite place in the world as a city because it's got so much history and you know a th- you know you go to New York fabulous city but doesn't have a thousand years of history mm-hmm. you know yeah. we have like the Thames exactly. you can imagine people having their heads cut off down you know yeah at Traitor's Gate etc and um, I think there was a shift in me from going from oh yeah that'll be easy to write about to realizing how much my passion for London could feed into the stories and London is a very gritty place it's New York is a fast-paced city but London has a kind of coldness I think that maybe New York doesn't have people never look at each other when they walk around London everyone's head down the weather's terrible you know that everyone's Mm -hmm. trying to get somewhere it doesn't have the high powered element of New York you know there's a sense of success about New York whereas with London you get a sense that London's surviving you know there is that (laughs) kind of we're just surviving Uh in London but we're proud of it and um so when I started planning the Dogface Gods trilogy, which is gritty, dystopic, mm-hmm. you know, with a very um, sort of damaged lead character, London seemed like the ideal place to set that. You know, it can be grimy, it can, it can be cold. Um, and just the historical parts of the city uh, have a life of their own. There's a magic in, to me, history is fantasy for adults. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's so you can use history and, you know, to create something quite magical, especially in the YA books more. In the Nowhere Chronicles, I've used it uh, much more to create a sense of fantasy just out of the history of the place, you know, right. and the different strange locations and the old buildings and, and you know, stuff that's happened in yeah, London. Yeah, well, and London is great for that. There's 
There's tenement slum apartments in London that were built before my country was mm, discovered. Yeah. You know? I mean, it is an old place. And, and you, it, you never see it. The thing with London is so much of it you don't notice. You know, like you can go on. Um, a friend of mine, when she was pregnant, it was her birthday, so she didn't want to go drinking. She didn't want to, you know, uh, do the normal things. Uh, <laughs> so she said, let's go on a, one of these London walks. And you turn up and there's like a, normally an actor who then guides you around. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a Jack the Ripper one. There's kind of quite obvious ones. And she said she wanted to go on one called The Secret Village of Clerkenwell. And Clerkenwell is the mile at the heart of London. Oh. It's kind of just near the city of London. It's right. where St. Paul's is, where the Old Bailey is. But when they took us on this walk, I mean, it was amazing because there were some Americans there. God bless you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they had this church that was like 600 years old. But there was a scene from Love Actually had been filmed in there. And that's what got the Americans excited. You know, like, and it was like, oh my God, they filmed this wedding in there. Whereas the rest of us were like, oh, they killed this priest here and this person right. got, you know, we were like, wow, this is uh -huh. quite historic. Um, and you see bits of London on these walks that you would never, ever notice. There's a place called Postman's Park that um, is a tiny little churchyard and it has these plaques on the wall and each ceramic plaque tells the story of someone who gave their life to save another ordinary person which I've used in the YA books uh, one of the children hides something important behind one of these plaques but the kids that I've then taught and told that to when I was a teacher would go and look go and go to London and say miss miss I saw that place and it you know it brings it kind of to life so there's so much that you don't see when you walk around it of history mm -hmm. so you'll have something really old next to something really modern mm -hmm. and often like a tiny little church and a big skyscraper like New York has that too to a certain yeah. extent but um so it's, there's always something to see, there's always something to learn. I think I'll never know the whole story of that city. And so there is, it's, it's alive to me, London. So when you're writing these scenes, do you think about, oh, I, I know this really cool piece of, of history. What can I, how can I use it? Or do you, do you think? Uh, I, I did, with the YA ones, I did that more. I would get guidebooks on weird places in London, <laughs> you know, and think, mm -hmm. oh, wow. And then I'd go and have a look and think that would be really good for them to do this in. With the adult ones, it was more things like where this policeman would live and where, you know, where, where the bad guys would... There's a, there's a the group of people in the book called The Network who are kind of a sinister organisation. And so especially by book two and book three, I think, well, where would they have... If they were going to have a secret headquarters, you know, which would obviously have to mm -hmm. be somewhere in plain view because the best secret headquarters are always yes. in plain view. Yeah. And then, you know, walking around London and there's uh, the University College London building, which was used in, I think, the Batman films or something. It's a beautiful building. So I've kind of used half of that. They've got secret things on the top floors of this. And, you know, so you can kind of see it if you walked around. But it is just, it saves the imagination, I think. Just to wander around London mm -hmm. gives me so many different ideas. And I think, I think it... Like, you have your fictional town. And mm -hmm. I think Castle Rock was probably the first example of, you know, Stephen King's Castle Rock mm -hmm. and Derry. To me, are kind of the first example of towns as a character. Oh. You know, because I, when I used to read those books, I could, ima I could imagine that place. And you kind of, the, the sort of things that could happen there, and you're yeah. like, oh, no, we're back in here, you know, mm -hmm. Salem's Lot kind of thing. But, um, so I think it's... I think I will always set books in London. My next ones are set in the 19th century in London. I, that's what I'm working on right now, Is too. It? Yes. So send the research my way when you're done. I was going <laughs> to say, we can just create. Yeah. I've got Kim Newman as my, as my research assistant, so that's quite All helpful. Right. Well, yeah. I want to I come back to this, but okay. first... 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We need to pause for our book of the week. Mm. And this, uh, Sarah's going to tell us about The Terror. Yes, The Terror by Dan Simmons, which was recommended to me by someone. And it's about a 1,000 pages long. And it is about what could have happened to the Terra and the Erebus that did expeditions to the Antarctic. Uh, back, we're talking about 19th century, back, way back mm-hmm. then. Um, and it gives, they're beautifully researched. The structure of the story is absolutely astounding. Mm-hmm. And it just is, is kind of an alternate version of what could have happened. Because obviously the ships were lost, they right. were landlocked, they were found you know, mm-hmm. years later and there was no one there. All the bodies were gone, etc. Uh, so it gives this whole kind of um, very historically accurate retelling of the story of the Erebus and the Terror. Um, and just, I mean, I read it in the middle of winter, so it was obviously freezing outside. <laughs> and as they're trekking across the ice in this, in this book, but it's an astounding piece of structural writing as well as storytelling. It made me really rethink. For this new work that I'm doing mm-hmm. for Quercus, it, it was part of the inspiration for... For okay. going to do something kind of relocating, rewriting yeah. history. Mm-hmm. But cool. just brilliant. All right. Uh, Dan Simmons is one of my very favorite authors. And so I am so going read to it. absolutely <laughs> look this one up. This is not one of his I've read. So you can get your uh, free trial uh, membership at Audible and get a free copy of this audiobook. You go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse and sign up. So... All right, let's get back to our topic. Although, can I, w- I just add? Yes, you can. It is actually a genre book. So it's oh, not, it is a genre book. Excellent. It has a weird weirdness. At yeah. Weird so weirdness. there is this, this monster on the ice. Nice. So it is, I should have mentioned that, but I okay. kind of presume everything's genre. Right. right. Yes, yes. Everything's, yeah, everything's genre. Everything's we just yes. assume. There okay. are no other books. Um, so let's talk specifically about four writers using cities like you said, using them as characters, really taking advantage of the location, whether it's a real one or a fake one. Um, my serial killer books are set in the made-up town of Clayton, mm-hmm. uh, which is just a completely fabricated town. But part of what I was trying to do with that is really establish it as you know, a real place. You know, It's not just, they don't just go to McDonald's. Mm-hmm. They go to this particular McDonald's. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. because it's a small town, this other completely independent little burger joint mm-hmm. that everybody goes to and everybody knows and you probably know the cashier. Um, and, and so kind of making it feel more lived in, mm. I guess, is the, the, what I was trying to do. Mary, Sarah, whoever wants to answer this, how do you do that? Well, one thing for me that I look at is um, where the bad parts of town are mm-hmm. and try to make sure that my characters have attitude and awareness of those bad parts of town 
Um, and then I also look at how people get around. Like Portland, Oregon is very, very bike friendly. Um, and then Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is where my family is, uh, there aren't even sidewalks. Oh, wow. And so it's, it is very much a car culture and it, it completely changes the way you experience a place. And so for me, reflecting that in the fiction is also important because it would reflect how my character experiences mm. it as well. I found with um, A Matter of Blood and you know the subsequent books in that trilogy, I was very keen to be entirely accurate with London simply because of the weirdness of the story. Mm -hmm. So I think it anchors, if you're going to write something a little bit off kilter and there's suddenly sort of someone seeing the ghost or whatever, it has to be anchored very firmly. If you're going to use a real city, that city has to be real. I mean, and I did, yeah. and when I wrote the second one, I had, I, he, there was a terrorist attack at the beginning of the second book. So several of London underground stations are bombed. Um, and I, so I had this chase at one point through Covent Garden station and I know Common Garden Station and I should have known this there are no escalators <laughs> you know there are no escalators and I had this thing going down the escalators and my editor Joe Fletcher was just like Sarah because she's a London girl and there was this there are no escalators at Common Garden I thought oh thank god for her because I'd have been mm -hmm. but it was things like then they do this memorial in Leicester Square and I was thinking okay well it is still London but I've bombed that station this road will be closed off that whole area will be closed off how am I going to get these people yeah. From there to there. So I spent an awful lot of time on multi-map. Well, and that is a, that, that's a very important concern, mm. I think, when you're using a real place. Uh, the, the obvious example that comes to mind was the recent remake of the movie Taking of Pelham 123. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Set in Manhattan, uh -huh. directly involving the subway system. And everyone who lives in Manhattan and half the people who've ever visited there Frost. saw that movie and just laughed oh, really? and laughed yeah. and laughed because it was, the, it was wildly, ridiculously inaccurate. And um, unnecessarily so. Yes. So how was it? Was it that they had the lines wrong and they had... Yeah, the kind of thing like, well, we'd better take the F train because that'll go here. And no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. go anywhere near yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is a train that goes there, and so they could have just used that. But, you know... The, the, and it the, does disturb the narrative for people. Yes. yes. You know, because mm -hmm. I've been caught out on things before. When I wrote... I did write one book for Leisure set in London. Um, and I even put a caveat. Oh, because I was thinking, it's only for the American audience. Then They're not going to particularly know that there is no wharf in this part of London. Mm -hmm. But I did put it in, you know, at the beginning, I have taken some liberties in order for this story to work yeah. with the yeah. shape of London, because it only takes somebody to read it and go, actually, that can happen. Yeah. And it looks lazy to me. It just looks lazy on the storyteller's part if you haven't got your city right. Mm -hmm. So you, you made the choice to alter it slightly. When is a time when you would want to make that choice? Well, it was... <laughs> If I'm honest, there was two things at work there. Number one, I knew it was for an American audience, not an English audience. I wouldn't have okay. done it for a UK audience because mm -hmm. they would know because it. They would and just, I'm presuming yeah. that they, you know, they say so many Americans don't have passports, so I'm banking on... <laughs> <laughs> a majority so you were writing a book for dumb Americans. Okay. <laughs> well, no, just less well-traveled ones. <laughs> you know. um, and also, and this is an even worse thing to admit, it was a book that I was kind of contractually obliged to write that I just wanted to write and be done with. So rather than thinking of a way around that, I wanted them to be at the O2 Centre in London, and then I needed them to get away from the O2 Centre in London, and so I was damn well going to put a speedboat there that they could get on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I needed a little harbour thing, which isn't there, mm -hmm. but I, I knew like a marina kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So 
I had but it was lazy, and I wasn't happy with myself for it. All right. Well, it's I like apologize a dirty for, secret. <laughs> for probing that wound. No, I have. Um, uh, I was working on a historical fiction and um, set in Nashville, Tennessee, and I, I needed it to be happening at the Ryman Auditorium, which because Teddy Roosevelt visited there. Uh, but the Ryman Auditorium is the home of the Grand Ole Opry, and I knew that there were no dressing rooms. Mm -hmm. But there, there had been dressing rooms at one point, and so I was researching to find out where they were located, and it finally turned out that there were, they were just cloth partitions. And I'm like, okay, there is no way that anyone would ever have a secret conversation in a cloth partition yeah. room. But I also knew that if I moved Teddy Roosevelt and the entire action to the Vendome, that my audience would go, oh, Teddy Roosevelt never went there. So I just burned the Ryman down. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and inserted a reason. I'm like, it's an alternate history anyway. So I'm yeah. just going to set this building on fire. And then nice. it makes perfect narrative yeah. sense for everybody to be over at the window. I, I approve of arson as a form of <laughs> yeah. narrative of problem yeah. solving. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. No, and uh, I liked what you said, Sarah, about you know writing your book with you know the map program open. Oh gosh, uh, because yeah. I do that all yeah. the time. Um, I'm writing one right now, set in Manhattan. Uh, I just finished a book set in Long Island, and yeah, I had Google Maps open, and I know where every house is and how and they get so from one to another. And it's so much nicer now that you actually can see the street because it yes. used to just be you could get a layout, couldn't you? But now mm -hmm. when you have the satellite image, you're like, oh, that's the kind of house they have. Because you, mm -hmm. yeah. I'd pick a street for someone to live on. I think, is it? Is it tree-lined or is it yeah. this, you mm -hmm. know, am I going to get it right? Well, and, and uh, it doesn't matter to, to a lot of readers mm -hmm. that you're completely accurate in most cases. But for those to whom it does matter, they're going to appreciate it yeah. more. And everyone else, even if they don't notice the accuracy, they will notice, I hope, the kind of added realism, mm. the extra mm -hmm. life that comes in. Well, no. sorry. Well, one thing that I was going to say is that there is actually a way to cheat this as well which is to insert a street that you mention as being in a neighborhood. I'm thinking of, of uh, Holmes and Watson. You know, the, the apartment that they lived in doesn't exist, not mm. really. 221B. Yeah. I know, yeah. I went there when I was in London. I was so disappointed. I mean, I there's a plaque on the wall that says, yep, this is it. This, this is, is where, where this it would be. This is where it would be if there was Dang such an apartment. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but you can, you can insert, you can insert a, a street that's not actually there yeah. and then refer to other landmarks and just don't connect the street directly yeah. to anything, and people will totally buy that it's a real place and allow you to have things that aren't there. Because when it's done wrong, I mean, there was, I know this is sort of veering off from books, but when they did um, the Stephen King Nightmare and Dreamscapes TV adaptations, which weren't good, but the worst one was, there's a story called Crouch End, which is a part of North London, and they filmed it clearly somewhere in America that looks like something out of Desperate Housewives. And <laughs> Crouch End does not look anything like that yes. you know and so it was when i watched it i was like well i can't engage with this story at all because it's supposed to be crouch end and they can't even be bothered to go and look at google google maps and see what kind of street they should be filming right. this mm -hmm. on so i think i think in some respects the internet has made people expect more accuracy from yeah. writers because it yeah. is so much easier now to get your facts right than it would have been 25 years ago mm -hmm. can you imagine actually having to do proper research Ugh. rather than just Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. well, and, and, and the point I think we want to end on, because uh, we're pretty much out of time, is that you know, even more important than the accuracy is the added flavor that mm. comes from really just making it real. You know? And because you have to love the place. Like, yeah. your place is fictional, but you love it. It's yours. It's created. I love London. And so that, I think that passion for the place has to, mm -hmm. to really bring it to life. If it's going to be important to the story, 
yeah. then it has to. You have to have a passion for it, and if you haven't got the accuracy, mm -hmm. then all right. Okay, um, Mary, I apologize for this, but uh, I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> can you give us a writing prompt? Yes. Um, take a city to which you have been, and set a chase scene from point A to point B. Very nice. Oh, she's good. I know. Because <laughs> we do this to her all the time. Excellent. All right. Um, you are out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.